Welcome to Entrepreneurial Minds. I'm Valerie Donahue, and on this podcast, we'll travel around the world to learn everything that we can about individuals who choose to create businesses from scratch. We'll dive into what drives them, what stops them, and what inspires them in order to identify. Are there common factors that unite us as entrepreneurs across continents? Here's your next episode. I'm here in Asara, Costa Rica with Donald DeSantis. Donald is a Brooklynite, and it's real serendipity for us to meet here in this remote town. Donald is a serial entrepreneur, tech mentor, and his latest endeavor is writing a book. He's the co-founder of VTS, a real estate technology company, which Cranes New York named Best Places to Work in 2015. He's an expert in building high-performance teams, uh, and it's such a treat for me to be able to pick your brain today. Um, Donald, you've transitioned uh, from so many different things in your career. Uh, you were doing product development, um, and now uh, you're writing a book about team building. Obviously, co-founders and entrepreneurs wear a lot of different hats. What drew you to the, uh, to the human capital aspect of uh, building a startup for your book? Yeah, good question. The human, the human capital aspect. Um, you know, I think as I was reflecting, so I, I left VTS a couple of years ago. I'm still really close with everybody there. I love the team. I try to go back and visit um, when I'm in the city uh, or when they have events and there's free food and beer. Um, <laughs> I am unemployed right now, so you can get me with free slices of pizza. Um, but, uh, you know, when I reflected on my time at VTS, there were lots, you know, there were lots of highs and lows, of course. But when I thought about the highs, one of the biggest you know, one of kind of like the biggest areas just thematically was all around people and creating a, um, a great place for people to kind of work and dedicate their efforts and time. I mean, we ask people to show up here, you know, five days a week for, I don't know, 10 hours a day, sometimes longer, you know? Um, and, and to create a space where people, you know, believe in what they're doing, they believe in the vision of the company, the competence of the executive team to actually execute on that vision. And they're feeling really challenged, but also supported. Um, that's just one of the, I think it's one of the coolest gifts that you can, that you can kind of provide. Um, one of the coolest things you can do. Sure. So one question, when it comes for to young startups, young companies, mm -hmm. when should they start thinking about, um, building their company culture? Um, it's a good It's a good question. I, I think, um, so I'll, I'll take, I'll take kind of like two shots at answering that. So I, um, as, as part of kind of doing research for this book, I've been speaking with a lot of people who, um, who, who I, who I look up to and a friend of mine, his name's James and he started a company called Firebase. They actually, you know, grew the company. It's, it was developer tools, sold the company to Google that had this great outcome. But I asked James, I was like, James, when did you start thinking about company culture within your co-founder. And he actually said it was, it was almost a year before they had made their first hire. They had written out, you know, their values and their mission and kind of what, what kind of company it was going to be. Um, so, you know, on, on one hand, like maybe nine months to a year before, I don't, I don't think that's crazy, but you know, when I really think about, um, when I really think about kind of like the cultural values that I tried to instill in the company, um, I think back to like where those really came from. I mean, they came from kind of like my own formative, own formative experiences as an employee. You know, I've had great 
experiences as an employee and I've had some really, really bad ones. Um, but a lot of it, you know, a lot of it is just kind of like pulling from our own history and, and, you know, if we've had the opportunity to work for great leaders who, um, um, who have, who are able to create great spaces for us, you know, it, I mean, it might start a decade before, you know, you, you actually end up starting your own company. It's just, it's funny how these things kind of carry with you in ways that you don't necessarily like plan for or, you know, really sort of design. But then, but then when you start, it's like, oh, here it is. Actually, I've, this thing has been important to me for almost a decade because I recognize what being on the other side of that, you know, like something like just, you know, transparency or just like a, a culture of like accountability or ownership, um, um, ownership from the executive team, you know, uh, that's, yeah, that's it, it. Anyway, it can start, it can start a long, long time before. So for companies, and as you mentioned, sometimes startups, they're just like, they're running at a thousand miles an hour. And this just seems to be something that falls off. Um, and you don't start thinking about it until later. What would you say to entrepreneurs, um, that are just in the beginning of, uh, launching their business? If, if they're thinking, I really don't have time to think about company culture. What are the, what is the thing that they really must do at the very least? Yeah. I, I mean, you're, you're, you're kind of, you're, you're building, you know, you're kind of always building a culture in one way or, or another. Um, so you just, I think the thing is like building culture isn't, isn't something people actually put off. We talk about this, like, Oh, you know, should you put off building culture or can you, how long can you afford to put off building culture? There's actually no such thing as putting off building culture. You're either like, you're always doing it. So you're just doing it intentionally or you're doing it unintentionally. And if you're doing it unintentionally, um, the culture that you're building is one that is, uh, you know, reflects, um, um, like what does that actually communicate? If, and it might communicate the kind of idea that, you know, culture isn't culture, quote unquote, I'm using like air quotes here, which people will be able to see, but like, you know, culture isn't something important at this place. Values, like what we kind of value isn't actually important here. This is a place where we show up, we get a paycheck, we leave, we, every once in a while we work really, really hard. And then, you know, maybe we have a happy hour and everybody kind of gets drunk, but like, that's, that's what this place is and about. Like, um, so you don't like, that's kind of like building culture by, you know, default rather than intentionally. And in general, like we can kind of dive deeper into any of that, but like in general, like that's not going to lead to a very good outcome because when things like when things are going well, you can kind of get by on that and things will kind of mostly work, but things aren't going to go well. Um, and when things start to unravel, if you don't have, um, if you don't have like a really strong cultural foundation and if you don't have, um, really strong values and sort of like a shared sense of purpose, a shared sense of operating, um, like the, all of the hard things are going to be much, much harder than they otherwise would be. I really love that. And I think that it's, um, it's such an important thing to point out because again, young entrepreneurs or entrepreneurs in the beginning of their journey, um, they might see it in this way as that it's something they're putting off, but it's actually something that they like, they're just building. And like you said, it, it's, it's going to happen one way or another it's by default. So there's also, um, I, I think it's, uh, a, a, these are cautionary words, right. Mm -hmm. Just to think about if, Either way, your actions are going to have an impact on your organization. They might as well have the impact that you intended to. Um, so, so I think that was a really interesting way of putting it. 
what would you say are the most um, common mistakes that founders make uh, when it comes to um, trying to build a high-performing team? Yeah, um, I, I mean, I'm. I think first of all, I'm just sort of I'm, I'm sympathetic to the situation that founders are in right now, especially in the technology space. This is universally true, but especially in the technology space when whether you're trying to hire software engineers or great designers or great product managers, like it's a, it, it's kind of a tight market, um, you know, for people with experience. I think there's a, there's a lot of folks in and it's a good thing. There's a lot of folks entering the market right now, sort of at more the entry level due to like boot camps and stuff like that. But, you know, people with three to six years or more of experience, like it's a, it's much, much more competitive. So, um, so I, I understand kind of, you know, how and why people put this stuff off or they look for kind of, look for kind of hacks. I, um, <clears throat> but probably like the number, the number one mistake that I see, um, companies make when it comes to building culture is just kind of copying, um, it's following best practices. And, you know, it's like, well, what's wrong with best practices? Like best practices are good. We should follow best practices. But if you actually look at like, you know, what are like, what are the best practices today in terms of like culture and recruiting and HR? Like usually it's, um, yeah, it's kind of like the, 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 the sort of like the latest fads and opinions that are coming from HR consultants and like the press and people who are sort of like paid to be pundits on all of this stuff. And where are they going to look for all of that? Like where they're going to look for all of that is just like, what is the kind of like latest, you know, startup du jour, like, which is like, which is the cool kind of interesting company today. And so they just like go, okay, cool. Um, I mean, if you rewind, I don't know, you have to go back, you have to go back a little ways for, you know, when Facebook was considered a, a cool, interesting company. Now they're kind of the, everybody's punching bag for better or worse, whether they're deserved or not deserved. I think it's probably deserved in a lot of ways, but you know, let's go back to like 2011, 2012, when like Facebook was like the hot shit. And it's like, okay, well, what, you know, um, if we think Facebook is great, you know, the press and consultants, uh, HR pundits, they go, Oh, okay, cool. Let's look at all of like the, the, um, you know, cultural touchstones. It's like, Oh, they've got these big graffiti murals and Oh, they've got, um, uh, you know, the culture of like move fast and break things. And it's like, Oh, they've got, it's like whatever the hell else it, it is that sort of like from the outside looking in and people just try to copy that and just try to copy it like whole hog. And they expect like, okay, cool. If we copy, it's almost like if someone has, um, like a great, uh, you know, like fashionable clothing. It's like, okay, cool. I'm like in high school. It's like, okay, you have, you want to be cool. I'm going to the cool kids, dress like the cool kids. And then you go buy all the clothes and then you just show up and you're just like, shit, I'm still not cool. Like, I don't understand what happened. Like companies do the exact same thing. And it's, um, and I, I understand, especially for first time founders, cause they just don't know any better. And their v and even their VCs, their investors will be like, well, you know, what we're really saying, you know, they have somebody who works at the VC firm and they'll have all these recommendations around what it is that you're supposed to be doing based on the latest trends. And you can't copy your way to great culture. You can't copy your way to having something like interesting and meaningful and different. Like, like the, the way, the way that you create that for your own organization is, um, I mean, the sounds like, it sounds like, um, a Hallmark card, but it's really true is you have to embrace what is like, what is like authentic and different about your organization, which oftentimes in the early days is a reflection of the founders. Yeah. Right. Um, so, and that's, it's hard to do because it takes people get self-conscious and it, and, and, and you might have to like evaluate kind of yourself in a way that you might not necessarily be comfortable with, but like every, like 
like if you like if you're starting a company, like you value something, you know, beyond of course, like okay, I want to be a successful entrepreneur, which everybody kind of has a little bit of that. But it's like maybe there are certain ways that like you really believe in terms of like how you work, right? So we're like very design driven, or we're very like engineering driven, which is also perfectly fine. Uh, you know, we're very flat, like no managers, very little hierarchy. You know, I think Buffer was a company that like played around in that space. Or you could say command and control, like we are like we're hierarchical, and that's what it, like these things aren't necessarily good or bad. They're just different, and they're going to be more or less successful in different contexts. But but the mistake that people make is trying to copy whatever like the latest thing is, you know, versus going actually like legitimately, honestly, who are we? And, and having kind of like the courage to embrace that, to own it, to telegraph it to your employees, to the market, even to your customers. And like, when you do, when you do that, like that's going to lead to like a strong, durable, authentic culture. That's going to attract the type of people who are actually going to, you know, show up and be able to kind of like row together, you know? Um, so if there are really, uh, if there are entrepreneurs that are listening again, that are in the early stages and the, this is something that just brings them immense dread, they don't know where to start. Mm -hmm. What would you say to ease their mind and what kind of a time commitment is it? Is it something that, you know, to, <laughs> for them to be able to know that it's something that they can do at the onset? Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, it's one of these things where it's going to be a little bit, um, uh, like, I don't necessarily think you can just like, you know, go into an afternoon workshop and figure out what these things are. Like there's, it's, it's a little bit of, of, of kind of finding out, um, you know, discover, like thinking about like, okay, what's important to me in terms of like how this company operates and what this company is about. But, you know, you probably have co-founders as well too. So where do these things kind of meet and where do we have alignment as co-founders, um, uh, in terms of like, what is actually important to us? Like what are, where do our values overlap? And I kind of like the way that I talk about this a lot of times is like obsessions. Like, what is it that you're, cause it's like values is kind of like values sounds like, know, it's like, it's, it's, it's crappy put on a wall. And that's not what we're talking about here. Like we're talking about something that like, you, you will truly, you know, um, like you're willing to step in front of a train for, you know, it's like, we will not be a company that, um, um, you know, that's, 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 uh, shit. I don't know. Like we're like, we're a company that, you know, involves our customers in our design and product development process. Like this was kind of true of my last company, for instance. And, um, we're not just going to go into a room and like do our kind of like Steve Jobs thing of like, this isn't exactly how they work, but this is like the stereotype, you know, like we just like, we go into, we go into a dark room and we know it's best for our customers. And uh, so we're like, we, you know, and I was like, look, I don't want to build a company. Like I am obsessed with like doing a you know customer centric design driven product development process. And thankfully my, my co-founders agreed with that, but like, that wasn't like a value. It wasn't something that was like important to us. Like it was an obsession. Like we obsessed over it. We talked about it constantly. Um, we spent time and money on it, not because it was like, you know, we're trying to like be calculated about like, what is the right thing for the company? And like, and like what kind of culture we want to build? It was like a sincere reflection of an obsession that was our own and that was shared. And then as we talked about that, we telegraphed that, that ended up attracting people who liked that message and were like, shit, I've wanted to work in a place that really valued this in the way that you that are obsessed with it basically. And there were other people who were kind of like, yeah, that's, I, that's not kind of my bag, you know? And I, and I don't really, there were designers, for instance, who were like, you know what? Like actually you're saying a lot of designers, um, cause I, I've had, to, I've hired a shit ton of designers. 
um, they don't like talking to customers. Like a lot of them really just want to open Sketch or Photoshop and go nuts on like having the coolest, sexiest like design interface. And then they like do little animations, the buttons and all this other crap. But that's perfectly fine, right? There's like a place for that. Um, but like that wasn't us. And I, and I met people like that. I was like, oh, you're just not going to be happy here. You know, um, this is a place where you level up and in terms of like a different type of design, um, kind of the more customer centric end of the spectrum. And we did value like great design and great user face, but that was just like, that was like the icing, you know, we we're sort of concerned with the cake. Um, so again, it's, it's, it's like, that was a thing that, um, again, we had some self-awareness. So we're like, we know, we knew that this was important to us, but I think that like every, every person, like, if you really think about like, what do I get worked up about? you like, when was the last time I got in a fight? Like an argument. When was the last time I got in an argument, whether it was on the internet or with a coworker, like, and this could be around process specifically, like how we're building stuff. Like if you're, let's say your background as a software engineer, when was the last time you got in like a, an argument in terms of like with another coworker, like shouting in a conference room, um, about how you were supposed to build something, you know, um, like either how the engineering, um, uh, the engineering process itself was being run or whether it was like specific design, um, 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 you know, engineering, like, like software design concerns and how it was being architected. Like people have strong opinions on these things. Right. Um, when was the last time you went out and got a beer with some friends and they got you talking about something kind of workish related or how, how you work that you just kind of wouldn't shut up about, you know, like these are, these are the place, like these kind of point at, I'm not saying they're exactly what you're obsessed are, but these point at what you're obsessed at about. And, and if you kind of step back and go, Oh shit, actually it turns out like these things are like really important to me. And like, I, I do have strong opinions here. I would just say like embrace those things. Cause that's, what's going to make you different and unique and weird, like in a good way. Yeah. And it'll also bring down conflict, right? Because if, if you're in alignment then it, it'll, it'll help you hiring and it'll help you in terms of, the people that are within your organization are are aligned in, in, in terms of um, in, in terms of something, right? That, the, that, that there's something outside of, like you said, like just getting a paycheck that uh, unifies them and in, in being yeah. there. Um, so once you come up with uh, with your values, how do you communicate that to your existing um, team and and when you're doing the hiring? Yeah, um, that's a good question. I, I think um, you know, in terms of, I'll, I'll start with like. I'll start with communicating them to your team. I mean, obviously you can, you can write them down, you can put them in an onboarding deck for your employees and you can talk about them at your company all hands and remind people about them. Like, and all those things you, you, you should do. Um, but that's not, um, that's not really how these things kind of get bedded in. Um, I think like, like people, like, like an organization values what it rewards basically. And, and so, you know, when it comes to like, how do you communicate your values? It's like, well, what are the behaviors that you are rewarding, um, that you're rewarding your employees for in a way that's like public, you know, there's the kind of the old trope, like, uh, praise in public, criticize in private. So to the extent, like, when you think about like, what are you praising in public? Um, you know, be thoughtful about that. You're like, okay, cool. Like if, if these are the things that like, if these are obsessions and then kind of falling out of those, like here are some just values in terms of like what we're going to come up with and call our values. Everyone has this mental model for company values. That's perfectly fine. You write these things down in the form of values. Um, how, uh, um, like, I mean, we, you know, we would have, um, you know, every, every quarter, every month, we were constantly on the lookout for people who were uh, emulating 
our values and we would praise and it could just be like informally in a group of people like you this was like really awesome thing you did um or sometimes you know at like monthly all hands we would um we would kind of do this we'd like recognize people in front of the whole company and i think even quarterly we would do this thing where where um the rest of the like employees would nominate other employees for like living up to some of these values and like we didn't invent any of this stuff we just like borrowed it but like you just it's like simple stuff but you just have to do it and sometimes it sounds cheesy and there might be better ways to do it too but like what i what I can say there is like the, like the more you just like praise people and reinforce, like bring these values to life through like, you, you know, like, and then like, like Jane did this specific thing. Like our, one of our values is transparency. And like Jane did this when it came to like this thing, interaction with the customer. And that like, really, that was like not the easiest thing to do, but it was like the right thing to do. Um, and people like, Oh cool. Like that's what transparency means at this point. It was like transparency when it's hard, not transparency when it's easy, you know? And like, and people start to, it gives them permission to kind of act that way on their own. And then when they run into like some situation, they're like, oh, okay, cool. Like this is, this is what we value. This is what it looks like. And therefore this is kind of how I'm going to act. Um, and then, and the flip side of it, of course, is like when somebody does something that's like not that, then you know, like just take them aside and have a conversation. But of course, like, don't do that. Um, you do that privately. <laughs> Um, and I just want to um, uh, change topics just a little bit and uh, learn more about your writing. Um, so you're a first-time author. Um, what are the challenges uh, that you're finding in writing your first book? Yeah. I mean, where do you want to start? There's a, there's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> your choice. My choice. Okay. Um, so I think... Um, I mean, like the first thing is, is like, so I'd never, I'd never written a book before. So I had one kind of misconception, which was, which was, okay, cool. I'm going to go off like into the woods and very, you know, solitude and like be really productive. sounds like a good idea. You know, think of like Thoreau and Walden or whatever. There's kind of this romantic idea of that. So I did that. And a friend of mine owns a Buffalo ranch in the Canadian Rockies. And I'd spent some time up there before. So I went and, um, this was actually just in like March of this year spent like a month or so up there and it's beautiful and it's lovely. And I thank him for letting me stay there. But, um, I realized like writing is a very solitary process, you know? Um, and I spent about the first two weeks, like really productive, but then like my productivity started to fall. And I thought it was because maybe I was being unfocused or undisciplined or whatever, um, and I spent the next two weeks just kind of like grinding and it was just super hard. And, um, and what I eventually, what I eventually realized was, um, that actually being around other people is like really important. Like it re-energizes me and it recalibrates me in a way. And if I am not around people for enough time, um, I, you know, I just like, I, I kind of like, I get depleted, you know? Um, and so I think, so part of this has sort of just been like, some misconceptions in terms of like the process. It turns out like the best situation for me is actually, um, probably like being in Brooklyn in my apartment. It's just like a routine, it's a structured routine. I have got the bodega down the street with like all the food that I need. I've got a Thai place that I can order from seamless. I've got like my desk, which looks out the window and like everything is just like right there, like actually having that routine. And then if I need to see friends, I can just like text somebody and it's like New York city. So you can hang out with somebody pretty much any night of the week, you know? So, um, counterintuitively actually going nowhere, um, is probably actually the, the, the best setup for me in terms, in terms of writing. And there's a zillion things, but that's just like one example that took 
a long time to really kind of understand. And what has been the most, um, what has been the most surprising thing that you learned so far, um, through this process? Um, through the writing process, the most surprising thing, um, that's a, that's a good question. I, I think the thing that I've probably been most surprised by was, you know, I thought that I wasn't like writing a book is, is there's like kind of two distinct phases. There's like writing the manuscript, which is just kind of like getting, it's, it's, it's like, it's just getting all the raw material together. And then there's like editing the manuscript, which is kind of like taking all that stuff. It's kind of a lump of clay, like taking that lump of clay and like turning it into a pot, you know? Um, but getting the manuscript done is, um, is pretty, is, is, is pretty difficult. Um, just because a lot of volume. My, my, my goal was 40,000 words, which is about 200 pages. And then you edit it down. I'm like, okay, we edit it down to about like 30,000 words. It might be 150 pages or 25,000 words, something like that. Um, but you just assume that you're going to be taking a lot of it away as, as you go through that editing process. Um, getting, getting to 40,000 just some days was like so incredibly slow and it wasn't. An, and I thought that I wasn't like self-editing as I was writing, but, um, I kind of had this epiphany one day where a lot of times in the morning I'll wake up and I'll just do a free write. Um, just a journal. I was totally just free write. And, and, and I journal and all of a sudden I'd like look up and like half an hour has gone by. I've written like a thousand words or more in a free write. And then I try to like start writing of this book, which I have a lot to say about. Uh, and I'd spent hours and I would just, and I'd only get like 200 words out. And I was like, God, this is like, you know, it's like squeezing water from a stone. And it wasn't until one of those, after one of those free writes one morning, I was like, I was like, Oh my God, like I, I need to approach this manuscript almost like, like just with the same mindset that I'm bringing to the free write. And if I can do, and so I was like, let me just try to do that. And it was like, actually like, I'm like, you have to like click yourself into like the right headspace. Um, but when I started thinking about it, like the free write, then it just came so much easier for me. It just, it just flowed. And it was, it was a small thing. Like I, I can, but it was, it was, it was just like a very, it's like the subtlest shift in terms of like the mental, like the mental framing is like more than anything else, like the mental framing that I, that I brought to like sitting down and writing. So that was probably one of the biggest things that, that just like surprised me, like struggling, 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 slightly reframe what it is I'm trying to do. And it's like kind of unblocked everything. So do you feel like it's getting easier now? Do you see the light at the end of the No, time? now it's so I, so that, so that reframing helps me get the manuscript done. Um, and now I'm editing it. I have no idea. It's like I am struggling right now. And, and by the time I'm done editing, um, I'm sure I'll have some other like insight or like thing that helps me. I'll have some light bulb moment that makes the editing much easier, but I have not had that yet. So now it's, it is, it's brutal. And I'm, I'm editing this. I'm trying to turn the lump of clay into a pot and, um, no, it's a struggle right now. <laughs> so just to recenter you then, um, in terms of what, what is going to be the biggest takeaway for readers, uh, once you're done and, and this is live? Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, that's, that's a good question. So I think like the big, the big themes of course are, um, like, you know, uh, if you're not already aware as an entrepreneur, like hiring is the hardest thing in the tech business. And while that might not always be the case, it's probably always going to be top three. 
Um, and hiring is hard because we're trying to optimize for three things and getting all three of those is actually really, really difficult to do. Um, most companies end up settling for one of those two, um, which leads them to thrash about and actually usually make the, like exacerbate those problems and makes it work, make it worse. What most companies try to do to solve that problem is copy what other companies are doing, but that doesn't actually work. Then they just end up with like all of these like weird trappings of like other companies' cultures and their artif- like other company artifacts and cultural norms that don't really actually represent them at all. Um, but the companies that are able to attract talent like consistently and, and talent that aligns to their values are companies that do something completely different, which is instead of trying to be like other companies, they actually take a look inward and say like, who are we? And like, what are we authentically, sincerely obsessed about? And they embrace those obsessions and they telegraph them to their existing employees. They telegraph them to the market and obsessions are, there's like three traits. They're aspirational. So they're about something bigger than the company itself. And this, you know, the company mission might be that, but also it could just be how we work. Like how we work is actually more important than like, is this going to be a good business, you know, 37 signals might be an example of this, you know, make base camp. They would rather, they would rather blow up that business than work like a normal company. They're like a no meetings company and all this other stuff. Right. So it's aspirational. It's bigger than the company itself. Um, it's directive. So it tells you like how it is that, you know, this obsession points at like how we actually act. Um, and, and frankly, the third thing is it's, it's polarizing, you know, like not everybody is going to be into it. And the more you dial it up, the more you polarize the market. So a lot of people are going to be kind of pushed away from you, which is perfectly fine. Not polarizing, like we're trying to be jerks, but just like, they're like, no, that's not my bag at all. Um, but other people are going to be ridiculously attracted to it. And those are the people that you want um, because they're going to stick with you when things get really hard. And um, they're going to be aligned in terms of like how it is that we actually work through hard things together. And so when you're actually able to do that, you sort of invert this whole thing where um, you end up creating a bunch of value for yourself as a company where you become much more values driven as a result of embracing obsessions. Um, you're differentiated in the market and, um, and instead of having to go out and like beg people to join your company, people actually start coming to you and saying, Hey, like you guys, like I'm picking up what you're throwing down and like, are you hiring? Um, when can we get our hands on this book? <laughs> um, so my, my, my target shift date is um, like mid-February right now. So um, it's coming up pretty soon. I've got like a writing, I've got like, I've got to turn in this edited manuscript um, in about a month. And, um, and yeah, so, uh, but yeah, I, I think it'll, it'll be Q1. You know, it's February is like the target, <laughs> but um, um, I'm very deadline. I'm a very deadline motivated person. So I think, I think, I think it'll, I think it'll happen, but Q1 at the outside. Donald, uh, thank you so much. Uh, it was so interesting to learn from you. Uh, can't wait to, uh, for your book to launch and, and to read it. Um, and, uh, you know, wishing you the, the best of luck in the, in the rest of this journey. All right. Thank you. Thank you so much.